Welcome to Centerpoint Church, where we're all about loving and leading people to a life-changing connection with Christ. We're so excited that you decided to join us today, and we believe that no matter where you're listening from, this message will enhance your connection with Christ. We hope you enjoy this message. Oh, come on. Yeah, good to see you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What a gift it is to be. It feels very nostalgic being back at Centerpoint Church. Uh, such a gift. So grateful. I need you guys to know something. Like everything that I do in ministry, like I want you to know it started here. Like I am who I am because of Pastor John and Ann Hansen. They poured in, like they took a risk on this, I mean, super handsome 24-year-old guy. Um, <laughs> Uh, they took a risk on me and Cassie, moving us out here. We were 20, 26 years old. I feel like it was a lot. I mean, wowzers. I am getting so old. But hey, I want to take an opportunity because I don't know most of you in the room, which, by the way, feels very strange to me. Like, I, I had several people coming up and say, hey, are you new here? And I'm like, well, kind of. I was angry that somebody was parked in my spot. Like, I felt like it should just be commemorated. That's my spot, you know? <laughs> Anyways, but let me introduce you to my family. I got a picture to show you up here uh, on the screen. Uh, uh, I'm the pretty one in the center there. And um, uh, that's my younger son, Zechariah. He's head and shoulders above everybody. He's 11 years old. He's taller than all of us. He's ridiculous. Uh, that is my beautiful wife and best friend of 17 years, Cassie Wilson. We love her so much. Yeah. You guys might remember our little daughter, Carrington. We prayed for her. We, I mean, we prayed. We prayed her into our family. Uh, uh, yeah, just love our little Care Bear. And that's my oldest son, Matthew. Uh, I'm happy to report to you that all of my kids have put their faith in Jesus. They walk with the Lord. Uh, they're doing great stuff for the kingdom. Uh, we baptized all of them. It's, it's, it's awesome. We're just, uh, I'm just super grateful. So I bring you greetings from Wenatchee, Washington. I need you to do me a favor really quick. Everybody say Wenatchee. Thank you. Because I've heard a lot of people say it wrong. Wenatchee or uh, Sharon says Wichamustachee. Like Wenatchee. That's where I'm from. We are the geographical center of the state of Washington. Your boy moved from the city to the country, okay? I live in the country now. I'm killing snakes. I mean, it's the real deal, man. Like I, and so anyways, we, we love Wenatchee. I've uh, been pastoring there for the last, it's been seven years. Seven years ago, this week I was interviewing, actually maybe next week I was interviewing for the job. Pastor John had just came back from his last sabbatical and uh, we, Cassie and I prayed and the Lord take us there. And I'll tell you that in a little bit, but I did not come to bring you an introduction of who I am. I came to present the word of the Lord to you. And so I am excited to bring the word. Um, you're in this series called Legends, right? Uh, everybody say Legends. I need to make sure the church is alive today. You seem a little dead today. So everybody say Legends. If your neighbor didn't say it, hit them, like elbow them in the ribs. Uh, okay, so this series called Legends, and so far you have been camped in the Old Testament, right? You've heard these great stories of Old Testament figures who did miraculous things from the, from the word. Last week, Brenda brought the house down. I felt like maybe I could do a couple weeks from now, like let the church calm down and lower their expectations a bit. But um, today I want to move us from the Old Testament into the New Testament. I want to take us, because if we're going to do a series called Legends, we might want to talk about the legend, the goat. Everybody know who the goat is? Not a billy goat, the goat. 
the greatest of all time. Who's the greatest of all time? Somebody say Jesus. Yeah, like I hope you know that, right? The greatest of all time is Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him and for him, all things were created, things on heaven, things on earth, all things. One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the GOAT. This church is all about Jesus. If you're new, I'm so grateful you're here. You're in a good hands. We love Jesus here. He is the GOAT. But Jesus was asked one time about who the greatest was. And you know what his answer was? Obviously, he's the greatest. But his answer is who I want to talk about today. In the mouth, from the mouth of Jesus, the GOAT was actually his cousin. Anybody got some weird cousins in the room? Jesus had a weird cousin, and his weird cousin out of Jesus' mouth was the greatest of all time. And so here's the challenge today, beloved of God. We're going to go into the Word today. I'm going to take you on a journey through Scripture, looking at this guy by the name of John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer, the cousin of Jesus. And what we're going to do is we didn't come to church just to listen and say, oh my gosh, Pastor Mike is the most handsome, best communicator. That wasn't a joke. That wasn't a joke. Yeah. Some of y'all remember big lovin's in the house. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's not what you came to church for today. You came to church to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so I'm going to take you on a journey through Scripture this morning and tell you how you and I can partner with Scripture to lead a legendary life. It's the invitation before all of us today, lead a legendary life. It's our main idea. But to start off, we're going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 7, verse 18. Book of Luke, chapter 7, verse 18. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, I want to encourage you. Don't go to church without a Bible. It's like going on a date without a chick or a dude. It's weird. And I know some of you, I brought my Bible on my phone. Okay, if that works for you, I've had to just, I, I, okay. But I encourage you, get a Bible, read it, turn the pages, smell it. It's good. Get in the Bible. And at my church, we have this tradition. And Pastor John's not my boss anymore, so I can do whatever I want. And he's not even here. So I'm going to introduce you to a tradition we do at Sage Hills Church in Wenatchee, Washington. In the opening reading of Scripture every morning, we stand to our feet out of reverence for God's Word. We stand for a lot of things in our culture, a lot of things. We stand to give accolades to athletes. We stand for our national anthem, and we should. But here's the reality. Nothing in this world is more worthy of your attention and reverence than God's Word. And so I want to invite you to stand to your feet And we are going to read Luke chapter 7, verse 18 through 28. And we are going to glean from God's word how you and I can lead legendary lives. And it's a long verse. And so people are like, oh, it's too long. You should have just read one. No, stand up. If you're able, stand to your feet. Give God's word the reverence it's due. This is what it's all about. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. Let me just explain to you real quick. John the baptizer is the cousin of Jesus, the son of Elizabeth and Zechariah. John the baptizer was the one who would go before Jesus and prepare the way for Jesus. He's baptizing many people, doing great work. He is arrested and thrown in prison. He will eventually be beheaded, okay? He is currently at this point in his life in a jail cell, 
And he's getting a little bit frustrated with what is happening around him. And this is what he does with his disciples. Luke chapter seven, verse 18. John's disciples told him about all the things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord and asked, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Can we agree that that's a strange question? Church, can we agree that that is a strange question? I thought this was a participatory church. (laughs) This is a strange question, especially to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? So verse 20, so the men came to Jesus. They said, John the Baptist sent us to ask. Do you know why they started with that? They're like, this ain't my idea, Lord. Your crazy cousin with camel's hair and locusts and honey, dude, he made us come. And we're here, to, we're here to ask you a question. And the question John wanted to know, are you the one who's to come or should we look for someone else? You know, like cowering because this is Jesus, right? Verse 21, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave them sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John that you, what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed. Everybody ought to say amen. Amen. That's a declaration of the year of Jubilee. Jesus saying, I'm your Jubilee. Tell John, Jubilee just showed up. I'm your Jubilee. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me, verse 24. After John's messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Sign language crew, I'm very sorry, I speak super fast. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes indulge in luxuries and live in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. Verse 28, we're going to read this all together, and everybody is going to read it that is able. If you don't read it, you will be judged. That's what the church does. Verse 28, starting with the word I. Ready? Read. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. I tell you that of those who were born by natural means, who's the goat? According to Jesus, John is the goat. And I want to explain to you today how you can live a legendary life. Let's, let's pray together. Father, today we want to thank you for your word. God, first and foremost, we just want to say that we came to church today to conform to the image of Christ. We do that through understanding your word. But God, we need you to speak to us today. We've heard words all week long. And now, Lord, we need to hear your word. So, Lord, may we be, as Romans 12 reminds us, transformed by the renewing of our minds. May your word bathe us, cleanse us, Lord. May nobody leave this room the same way they walked in. All of us, Lord. We're your servants, like Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. Lord, may that be our prayer and declaration today. We long for you, we love you, in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, hey, before you're seated, turn to your neighbor, give him a high five and say, let's get legendary. And then let's grab a seat together. If there's someone around you that didn't high five, just put your hand in their face and wait for it. Say, it's church, we can have some fun. 
So I wanna, I wanna look at this journey through scripture. We're gonna be all over the scriptures today to see why Jesus said, Luke 7, verse 28, to see why he declared that there has never been one that's greater than John the baptizer. I wanna know why he said it. And I find three things out as I study the life of John. Three things out that lead me to believe this is why Jesus said there has been no one greater than John. And the first was this, John the baptizer knew who Jesus was. He led a legendary life because he knew who Jesus was. In a time where many folks did not understood or understand who he was, John the baptizer knew who he was. Matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, John the baptizer was the first person on earth to declare the deity of Christ. Did you know that? Yeah, check it out. In Luke chapter one, verses 39 through 45, you'll read the story, right? Mary's in her house. Mary, did you know that your baby boy? Let me just tell you right now, she knew. Let me just solve the song right now. Stop singing it. She knew. <laughs> read the Bible and you would know that too. Anyway, so, so Mary knew. She goes right from that setting, Angel Gabriel, to her cousin Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth, who was said to be barren, is now six months pregnant. And then check out Luke chapter 1, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. The baby leaped in her womb. The, the baby that was in Mary's womb was acknowledged by the baby that was in Elizabeth's womb. And the baby that was in Elizabeth's womb said, that baby is why I am alive. There was joy and anticipation in John's little baby body that said, this person is the one I will give my life, declaring he is the Lord. John the baptizer knew who Jesus was. One time, John was on the beach and he was baptizing people and people were getting a little bit confused with who he was. They began to ask the question, well, are you the Messiah? And John began to set the record straight in Luke chapter three, verses 15 through 18, particularly in verse 16, John answered them all. He said, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come one that I am not even worthy to unite his sandals. He said, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You see, John the Baptist was clear on one thing with his life. He was clear on who Jesus was. And you know, it was about two decades ago, there was a new trend that started in the church. And by the way, I just want you to know, I find it very strange that now I can define my life by decades. Like, I, 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 it's crazy. I just turned 41 years old. Uh, like I have gray in my beard now. It's, it's bad. I have a beard now. It's weird. Um, but a couple decades ago, there was a trend that soared through the church. And how many people know that some things can be good and bad, Right? Some things can be good and bad. And this is what I like to call the trend of identity, where the church got so wrapped up and tied up in this idea of who we are. 
Like, and, and it's become such common language for us to spend ample amount of time making sure the world knows who we are. Well, I know who I am. Well, I know who I am. Know who I am. Do you know that Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest of all time? And did you know that John the Baptist had no idea who he was? He had no idea who he was. You want, you want proof of this? Check out John chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. They're asking him, who are you? They said, are you Elijah? And John said, no, I'm not, I'm not Elijah. They said, are you a prophet? He goes, no, I'm not a prophet. Say both those things. But the problem with that is, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus tells you who John is, and he says, he is Elijah to come. And in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 11, he says he is a prophet. So the greatest person of all time didn't know who he was, but he knew who Jesus was. And I will tell you, I think we spend too much time telling ourselves who we are and not enough time telling people who Jesus is. I think we've gotten so backwards with finding ourselves. I'm just finding myself, pastor. I just need to know my identity. Your identity is found hidden in him. You need to know who Jesus is. Parents, I'll give you some parenting advice today. You want to raise up legendary kids? Tell them who Jesus is. Train them up in who Jesus is. We live in a day, in an age, in a culture where it's becoming increasingly less popular to subscribe to Jesus. And I'm encouraging you, sign your kids up for Jesus. Remind them who Jesus is. Maybe you should tell them a little bit more about who Jesus is and a little bit less about who they are. Because what happens is if the world revolves around them, they're going to grow up someday and they're going to be somebody else's problem. And they're going to believe in their head and hearts. And we have an entire generation of people that is entering the workforce. Watch out. They believe the world revolves around them, their feelings, their voice. I know who I am. Let me tell you, the world don't care that much who you are. What the world needs to know is who Jesus is. How many people know you can find yourself? I found myself, but you can find yourself in hell. And we got parents raising kids that tell them, oh, you're the greatest, sweetheart. You're the best. Not every kid is a prodigy. <laughs> By very definition of the world, there can't be a bunch of prodigies. I think I need a hanky. I'm getting hot and tired. <laughs> I mean, we're giving kids trophies for mediocrity. We're not teaching kids winners and losers. You're always a winner, honey. Let me tell you something. Sometimes your kid loses. But there is one named Jesus who never loses. And if we tell our kids who Jesus is by showing them who Jesus is, our kids will build their life upon the rock. We have the problem in our world right now, beloved, is we have a whole bunch of people that have built their life on the sandy land of their own identity, their own security, and we've missed the fact that the greatest of all time had no idea who he was, but he knew who Jesus was. And how many people know Jesus is enough? Do you know it today, church? I wish there was just a couple people who knew that Jesus was enough. Now, I want to caveat this, okay? 
I think it's important that Christians know who they are. I don't think it's a terrible idea. I'm just telling you, stop worshiping yourself and worship Jesus. He's worthy of it all. Amen? So number one, the best way to begin living a legendary life is you look to John and you understand that John knew who Jesus was. But here's the kicker. He didn't only know who Jesus was, and this is really unpopular in our world today. He did what Jesus said. He did what Jesus said. You see, in John's mind, there was a pecking order to creation. That Jesus is Lord over all, so what he says is greater than what I feel. We have an entire world filled with people that the motor of their ship is feelings. And I'm here to tell you, you shouldn't be motored by what you feel, but by what he says. I had this parent come in for counseling, and I always tell stories about counseling that I do because I want to show people how bad I am at it so that they go to someone else. Uh, and so this family came in, they're like, Pastor Mike, I don't know what to say, but our kids are bad. And I'm like, yeah. I think they're, they might be demon possessed. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen your kids. No, I'm just kidding. And I was like, well, hey, let's just do this together right now. Uh, I'm not a parenting expert. My kids are demon possessed too. Uh, but they get possessed right around 11, 12 years old. The demon of puberty enters their bodies and never mind. But I'm like, let's just go through parenting strategy. And they're like, okay, well, you know, we, we thought you were gonna ask that, so we just wanna share with you. We've always been the type of parent where we didn't wanna be like the authoritative parent. We never wanted to be the parent that like told our kids what to do. But we don't know, like we've, their entire life, we've just told them that we love them, that we believe in them, that they're awesome, and we've gotten out of their ways, and now they're demon-possessed. I said, you know, guys, I think we need to start this conversation really clear. We need to repent. We need to repent. Well, what do we do? Well, the Bible is very clear that the Lord, he actually, I almost said punishes. He disciplines those whom he loves. And as parents, it's our job to set boundaries for our children, for our, our kids to look to us to understand that what mom and dad say, go. Like, this is the reality. We've taught our kids, like, well, you know, what your mom says matters, but what you feel also matters. And then you put it on the scale. Listen, in my house, when I grew up, whoo, I wish my mom would have taken that parenting class. My house was ruled by the chancla. Like, we just, it didn't even matter if mom was right. And more often than not, mom, you were wrong. She's watching. She's my biggest fan. But it didn't even matter if she was wrong. She's mom. And there's a pecking order. And until you get your own kids, and you can screw them up, and they're going to need therapy because of you later. Until then, there's two voices that matter, the voice of the Lord and the voice of your parents. And this rang true for John. 
You know, John, in Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 15, he's baptizing a bunch of people. And then it says in verse 13, then one day Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. John tried to deter, deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so. Everybody say, now. now. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Next three words are very important words in Scripture. Then John consented. Then John modeled to you and to me that what matters more than how we feel or how we feel things ought to go down in this world, what matters more is not what we feel, but what God says. And if you came to church today and you're like this, you're like, Mike, I just don't know how to hear him. I want to hear him. I just don't know how to hear him. I, this happens to me all the time. And I kid you not, there was a time at my church where this person came up to me. They're like, Pastor Mike, you keep on saying we need to hear from the Lord. I don't know how to find how to hear from the Lord. I keep banging my head up against the thing. I cannot find out. Listen, beloved, you have everything you need inside of this word for life and godliness. You don't have to bang your head up against it. Just open it. Read it. It is the word of God. He will speak to you through it. Build your life upon what is written because what he says is greater than what you feel. Now listen, for all of, those, all of us in the room that are in therapy right now, myself included, our feelings matter. I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm just saying there's a pecking order to this world. And what he says matters more than what we feel. Seven years ago, I was on my face in that office right over in the other building. I, I, they got rid of my office. I mean, this is sad. I don't even know what's going on here anymore, but I was on my face in that office because I loved, I mean, some of my best years of my life were in this room. Pastor John and I prayed eight hours one time, I believe, maybe not eight hours, felt like eight hours. We were in our long time. I mean, best years of my life. I brought all of my kids Home to Marietta. This was my home. I love it here. I always know what the weather's going to be. Hot. <laughs> my bishop calls me one day and he says, hey, Mike, there's a church. I think, that, I think you were created for this place. And I said, you know, I'm really happy where I'm at. I get to work for John. He's the smartest guy I've ever met in my life. I get to sit under the guy. And, and you know, it's really cool. Like when you're not the leader, everyone likes you. Like, people like me here. I love it. I love it. This is what I feel. I love it. My family's happy. I'm happy. Life is good. Everything is awesome. <laughs> but my wife reminded me of a prophetic word that I had over my life. And that prophetic word on my life was that God was going to use me to bring about revival. And this certain prophetic gentleman shared with me that there's going to be a time in my life where I'm going to have to decide between starting and reviving that I should choose reviving because I wasn't anointed for starting. I knew that from the time I was a little boy. I never started on a single team my whole life. These are funny jokes, friends. I guarantee you that, like, I'm, these kill. Like, this is the best joke you've heard all week. <laughs> But after I finished my interview in Wenatchee, Washington, the board member, because I had two options on the table. One was to plant a church in San Diego, and I felt that like that was the Lord. San Diego's beautiful. <laughs> but one of the board members came up to me and said, you know, Mike, it just sounds like you've got a decision to make. 
Do you want to start something in San Diego or you want to revive something in Wenatchee? And in that moment, I had to ask myself the question, am I going to prioritize what I feel? The first time I went to Wenatchee, I did not like it. Be honest. I didn't like it. But it's weird. It grows on you. I had to make a decision. Am I going to prioritize what I feel over what God said and was so clearly saying? And so that day, I had to say to that board, come back and tell my boss, I believe the Lord is calling my family to Wichimastashi. <laughs> and you know what? The Lord called us. And you know how I know it was him that called us? It's been miserable. Yeah, the litmus test of the call of God is not ease. The litmus test of the call of God is not ease. The litmus test is actually struggle that you cannot do in your own strength. Because at the end of the day, you will look back. If you allow the propeller of your life to be what he says over what you feel, you will look back and not say, man, I was good. Nobody's going to look at the story of Centerpoint and say, man, Pastor John and Ann were incredible. They're going to say, what a mighty God they served. And I want that to be the tattoo across my head. What a mighty God we serve. Someone say amen. So the first thing is you got to know, like John did, he knew who Jesus was. The second is you got to do what Jesus says. And if you can't hear him, encourage you. God primarily speaks through his word. Get in your word. Read it. If you don't understand it, get in the community of people and check it out together. I promise you, it will change your life. I'll wrap it up with my third point. John knew who Jesus was. He did what Jesus said, but the third is almost the most important. John's entire life and ministry was not marked by building fame for himself. John did not constantly check his Twitter feed or Instagram feed to see how many followers and fans he had, because the answer would be very few. John's life goal in ministry was not to say, hey, everyone, look at me. Look at me. Hey, you over there, look at me. Look at me. Hey, back up. Look at me. Look at me. Me, 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 me. This was not John's deal. John was not a me guy. John was a... Jesus guy. Check this out. John chapter 1, verse 29 through 31. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, hear these words, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see what John did there? He was baptizing people. He might have dropped somebody when Jesus came up. Dunking him underwater, he sees Jesus. He just points to him. I know your whole life, your mom says, it's rude to point. They didn't, your mom must have not known the Bible. Because this is what John did all the time. Pointing people say, he said, look, everybody pay attention. Don't look at Mike. Don't look at John. Don't look at Brenda. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I can't save you. My words can't save you. I can't fix you. But I know the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world in my job. It's not to be your savior. My job is not to be popular. My job is not to have a huge following. My job is that I must decrease so Christ can increase. 
My job is to take your hand through the word of God and place it in the hand of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's my job. At the end, he says, my job is that he might be revealed. That he might be revealed. You want some goals for your life? Hashtag goals. That Christ might be revealed in your life. That Christ might be revealed in my life. I'll never forget my last Sunday here. Pastor John made me do a bunch of stupid stuff on the platform. Embarrassed me one last time. I was walking out. I remember this day. I remember the kid's name. I don't have his permission to say it, so I'm not going to say it. He's an adult now, which is weird, by the way. Like, the kids that were in my youth group have kids now. You should be afraid. So afraid. Young guy caught me right out there. I mean, before that was stadium seating, there was a door there, and I was walking out, and this kid said, hey, I want you to know, hold on, I know Jesus because of you. And I said, that's the rest of my life, man. I don't care if you remember a single thing I ever said. I don't care if you remember my nickname or you follow me on whatever things there's to follow me on. I care that you know Jesus better because I know him and I love him. And my job is to take your hand and place it in the hand of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, John's life was not just meant to be framed, put on a wall. His name was not, his, his, his life story was not meant to just be read about. See, that's one of the myths about the Bible, especially when we read these Old Testament narratives. We read them and we tend to go, man, Moses was the man. Joshua was great. I should have a picture of Joshua on my wall. These are incredible people. We should put them in frames, put them on a wall. I want you to know something. The word of God is not just meant to be read. It's meant to be lived out. James said, foolish is the man that hears these words and doesn't put them into practice. So what we have in John is a life to be replicated. We have the example of John, the one who prepared the way for the advent of Christ. He prepared the way for him. Because he was coming and he made his whole life about telling people, listen, he's coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. He, his whole life was about it. People thought he was a whack job. And he was. Guy never shaved. He ate locusts and honey. He wore camel's fur. He lived in the, joy, he lived in the desert. This guy was a wacko. But he did one thing really, really well. He told people Jesus was coming Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And then when Jesus came, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you and I today have a decision to make. We're gonna celebrate that and be like, yeah, John, way to go. John, John, he's our man. He can't do it, nobody can. Are we gonna say, wait a second, John the Baptist is actually a type John the Baptist is actually a picture. 
John the Baptist is actually a model of what the church is supposed to be today. You see, John prepared the way for the original coming of Christ. But beloved of God, hear me right now loud and clear. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. I don't know when he's going to come. I'm not saying he's going to come tomorrow or next week. I just pray that when he comes, I'm standing right next to my biological anthropology teacher. Because when he comes, I'm going to say, I told you so. We are supposed to be those that life's efforts, all we have, point people to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. No more trying to gain fame or popularity or bigger platforms. The Lamb of God is the only famous one. He's the only one worthy of our attention, honor, and reverence. It's Jesus. And so what I'm saying to you, I am pleading with you, beloved of God, live a life worthy of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Tell somebody about Jesus. This is what's going to happen to you this week. I promise you. Someone's going to come up to you this week, and they're going to tell you your problems. They're going to tell you, they're going to tell you your problems. It happens to me all the time. People think that pastors want to hear their problems. We do. We love you. But um, they say, this is my problems. And they're like, you fix it. I made a mess out of my life. You fix it. And here's what I've learned. Can't fix anybody. But what I can do is I can grab their problems and I can tell the devil he's a liar. I can push the devil straight down to the ground. And then I can grab their hand and I can point him to Jesus. You see, John Travolta was on to something, people. I want everybody to do this right now. I want you to grab a hold of some problems in your mind and your heart. Everyone's going to do it. I promise you. Every, I, I, I got all day. They told me I didn't preach long enough last service. You're going to grab your problems and you're going to push them to the ground. And then you're going to point them to Jesus. Listen, someone's going to come up to you this week and they're going to say, my life is hard. Everything's terrible. I, my dog died. My fish has got cancer. It's terrible. I'm a country song. And you're going to grab them and you're going to trip them to the ground because they're not going to humble themselves. So you got to humble them for them to the ground. And then you're going to lift them up and you're going to say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We're going to leave this place like this. Ah, 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 like this all day long. You're going to hear something on the news. It's going to make you anxious. You're going to grab it. You're going to put it to the ground. And you're going to remind yourself that there's a God in heaven who loves you, that is for you and not against you. You're going to remind yourself that the earth is not your home, that you've been bought by Calvary's Hill, that one day, soon and very soon, you're going to see Jesus. And when you see him, your response is going to be very simple. You're not going to have questions. Well, I got some questions. There's some things I don't get. No. This is what you're going to do. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is going to be you. Behold the Lamb of God and the sin of the world. And so what do you have to do now? You have to grab people and point them to Jesus. Because he's the one that can take it, change it, rearrange it. Build your life out of dirt. You know, as we're sitting here right now, Somebody in this room maybe even said that this week. My life feels like dirt. My problems are overwhelming. 
the diagnosis is bleak, whatever it might be. And you say, you look in the mirror and you're like, Mike, I just feel like dirt. Great news. If your life looks like dirt, all you need is the breath of God. Because he's the best at bringing dead things to life. So today, if that's you, and you've made a mess and a mockery out of your life, you've tried to pull yourselves up by the bootstraps and fix this thing yourself, you've tried to muster the strength and the courage to do it, I'm telling you right now, take a note from the great theologian, Dr. Phil. If you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. You can't get yourself out of that hole. You need the hand of God to reach in and pull you up. So I want everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads right now. We're gonna talk to God. And if today you came to church and you feel like your life looks like dirt, maybe you don't even know the Lord. You're far from him. And today you wanna start a life with Jesus. I wanna invite you really simply to start a life with Jesus today just by raising your hand up and looking at me. And we're gonna talk to God together and you're gonna start a life with Jesus. So if you're ready to put your faith in Christ today, I want you to raise your hand up right now and look at me. Praise the Lord, I see that, it's incredible. Awesome, praise the Lord, I see that. Praise the Lord, awesome, praise the Lord. Awesome, praise the Lord. Today the Lord is for you, not against you. He's bringing you to new life in him. He's gonna put the pieces back together. He's the one who created you. He'll put you back together. The rest of us are gonna to stand to our feet at this time. And if you just raised your hand and made a decision to follow Christ, I wanna invite you to say this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I can't do it on my own, but I believe what you did on Calvary's Hill was for me. And so today, Lord Jesus, by raising my hand, I'm confessing you as Lord and starting a life with Jesus. Starting a life with Jesus today. And Lord, together, the church today, with all of, hell, all of heaven, celebrates new life in Jesus Christ. Can we just give the Lord praise right now? Come on, give the Lord praise. I wanna close you out really quick. I'm gonna ask you to just extend your hands in a posture of receiving. I wanna speak a blessing over you from God's word. It's from Ephesians chapter three. It says this, for this reason. What reason? The reason that God took away the sins of the world. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom everyone on heaven and on earth derived his name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power in your innermost being that you would be able to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. To know that this love surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we seek or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to Christ be the glory throughout all generations forever and ever. And the church said loud, amen. God bless you guys.